millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to this, the latest episode of the Roker Report. You're joining us now after a three-all draw with Brentford. Not what we wanted, certainly, considering we threw away a two-goal lead and therefore two points as well. Uh, but before we get into that, I'm joined by a couple of the lads from Roker Report. I've got Gavin with me and I've got Graham. How are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Not bad, miss. Not bad. Good stuff. Good stuff. Everybody's, I suppose, a little bit happier now. Well, I say happier. Got in time to get over the disappointment of the Brentford game. Gav, what do you make of it all, mate? It was a bad one to throw away, I think. Yeah, it was. Um, we're all getting a bit sick of talking about how bad things are, really. Um, but this is a different level of disappointment because we we had the win in the palm of our hands. Well, you know, half time three one up. You, you, that's as good as it gets. One of them was an own goal. Mm. One of them was a penalty. It's a case of how do you manage the balls that up? And, uh, I mean, to be honest, I was sat watching this and I thought it was a matter of time before we conceded. And that was at half time when there was there wasn't a ball being kicked. It was it was just where I'm at at the minute. I, I don't have any faith in the players really, and it, obviously they don't have faith in themselves. We managed to capitulate in the way that we did. It's just it's difficult. It's like I say, I don't mind drawing games, and drawing games is obviously better than losing games, especially away from home. But when you're three one up, you run out of excuses for the players. Really, they they need to do a lot better. Grayson needs to do a lot better. You know, I thought. I thought the decision to set up like we did made sense for a part of the game where we knew Brentford were going to hold on the ball a lot. I mean, the stats at the end showed Brentford very good in possession. We knew that before we played them. And obviously the first goal came of, came against the runner player. Really, they were back in our half. Oviedo wins the ball brilliantly, plays it forward um, through the channel and grabbing shows what a good striker can do and puts the ball away, which we're obviously now seeing the fruits of because grabbing is a proper centre forward. Whether he's going to score us 20, 30 goals, I very much doubt it. But I do think that he's with him on the pitch we're, we're a lot better off than James Vaughan for instance and it's good to see him back what more again good run for the the penalty came out of nothing really he's, he's turn and then his little bit of movement and then you know the run in the box which which won us the foul that's what he brings to the team Duncan Watmore he's not technically very gifted but he makes up for that with graft and determination I think and he gives us something that no other player does which is the ability to win your fouls in dangerous areas because of just he's such a nightmare to defend, really. And I think grabbing because he's not a particularly good link up player, he's more of a if I play off the shoulder, I get in the right areas, I'll score your goals type striker. He'll really benefit from having what more alongside him. So, I mean, the were positives to the performance, those were the two main ones in my eyes. But it's glaring just the overarching uh, disappointment that I've got the fact that we weren't able to, to see that game through and put points on the board. Mm, yeah. You know, Lee, Lee, Lee Catamore had another poor game. I thought I thought he was 
Puaf for the first goal. Some are saying he got fouled, but I just think he dillied around on the ball and lost it eventually, and they scored from it. The goalkeeper was poor, I thought. I think Steele needs to be dropped. We'll make comment this later, I'm, I'm sure, but you know, it's every week now. He's just not good enough. He's he's positioning for the free kick, I thought was very poor. I thought he could have done a lot better with that. The third goal, I think he could have done better with that. Just it, it seems to be every week. We're pointing out the fact that he could have done better on these goals, and he's not helped by the fact the defence in front of him are so poor, but it's it's becoming it's becoming very difficult to, mm. to defend him um, and I'm sure the man just he's made a bold choice in putting him in the head of Reuter who alright he isn't he isn't fantastic but he's, he's certainly you know got to be a better option than Steele at the minute who is the man we spend quite a lot of money on when you look at in relative terms you look at the budget you know what was that nearly a third of our budget spent on a goalkeeper who is clearly not good enough mm. but next week's going to be an even more difficult game because we're back at home and we know these players can't play at the stadium alike. that's quite clear we're, I think we're about five games now before um, it becomes a year since we're won at home which is just preposterous um, <laughs> and you know then after that we've got Bolton who are below us on the table and if we haven't won one of those two games I think the Bolton game's a big one if we get beat against Bolton it might be curtains for Grayson so there's a lot to consider but that was a different level of disappointment I feel that, that game at the weekend mm, Absolutely what about you Graham? Uh, I kind of echo what Gav said really it was like we're kind of getting used to the getting beat or just being shit and then we kind of managed to have another level of shit on Saturday. Like, I don't actually think we played that well. And I think Gav attested to it before. I think even when we were 3-1 up, you, you take it. And what matters in games is that you score goals and win them. But, like, one was, like, a total calamity. Like, the goal was, like, dropped into his own net. The other was a penalty, which, ah, yeah, I suppose what more won it. Fair enough. And the other one was just, like, a long ball down the field, which, which Gavin finished. But it was effectively, like, we finished our shots on target a goalkeeper's fumble and, and a pen. I don't think we played that well, if I'm honest with you. Maybe I'm being really like negative here by saying that, but I just knew at half time would find another way to fuck it up. Like because the players and I, I think I, I tweeted about this on Saturday, the week They've got absolutely no backbone at all. Like, not one of them, in my opinion, not one of them. Maybe that's harsh on people like grabbing and what more, but I'm, I'm sick of like talking about individuals. This team as a whole are just weak. Like, managers weak. I'm sick of people saying, you know, we've got to understand, you know, where we are and be realistic and not be deluded. Like, I'm not being deluded by thinking we shouldn't be second bottom of this division. It's it's not a good division. It's shit. It's full of absolute mm. shit teams. And yes, we're one of them, but we're, we're better than some teams. And I think, you know, Grayson in every bloody game, if we, like, score a goal or we go one up which is very very rare he just sits back and this guy's meant to be like defensively sound so you think well fair enough I don't mind having a solid defensive foundation if we can do stuff up top but if Graben's not there I, I don't see us scoring goals and uh, it, fair enough he's back but like at the same time I'm saying I don't see us scoring goals if Graben's not there but we didn't really score that many when he was before he got injured I'm just trying to cling on to some hope and I think I did have that level of hope that you know when Watmore came back and when we signed McManaman and that I thought when Johnny Williams gets fully fit we might have a decent team but like they're back and we're still like fucking shit up like the defense is just not good enough and i think there's a lot more problems than grayson but i think the unit as a whole grayson is 
coaching staff, the team as a collective and as individuals are just weak-minded, weak-willed, and they're just not good enough to be a club of our size. And when I say our size, I don't mean top 10 premiership. No, not at all. I don't think we're a premiership club. I don't think in the background we're set up well enough, but we're certainly not a relegation fodder being cut adrift at the bottom of the championship. I, I, I think we're better than that. And, and maybe I am deluded, but I do think we're better. And I think, you know, we're sleepwalking towards another relegation because just everyone in the club who can change things a, a week. Weak as fuck. Weak. That's the consensus from Graham. Weak. Everybody's yeah. weak. weak. I agree. I can yeah. see your point, Mark. I mean, yeah. when it comes to the game specifically, um, yeah, I was extremely disappointed. I, I agree with both of you. I think we all were as fans, really. Um, the biggest problem for me is that the idea of a halftime team talk seems to be ignored these days by pundits. I think if you speak to any manager, they'll tell you how important, how crucial it is that you get the halftime team, not just the halftime, any team talk, how crucial it is that you get it right and just how much of an effect it can have on the people in front of you, i.e. the players. So it really bothers me when fans turn around and say otherwise, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of people say, like they disagree with the team talk being an issue. And But for me, it absolutely is. You you're, you're three one up at half time. I mean, don't get me wrong, don't change things. I'm not telling you that there's some master plan there, but you've got to be able to keep some consistency in your squad at that point. You've got to be able to sit down everyone and say, right, look, we're lucky to be here. We're very lucky that we're three one up. And we were, as as we've both said already, we're very lucky to be here. We have to maintain this position. Now, what's really interesting for me about that game is that I've been slating Grayson's substitutions pretty much since he arrived, since uh, we first got the opportunity to see it, because the timing of it uh, and the selection was really concerning to me. I mean, he kept throwing on right backs, he kept bringing on John O'Shea, things like that. The only time that it would have been, for me, acceptable to bring on defensive-minded players is when you're leading 3-1 at half-time. That's the only time. So the one chance that he had to do what he always does and bring on defenders, the one time when it would have been useful, the one time when we needed to maintain what we had, he didn't do it. Uh, now, I mean, that's entirely up to him. You can say what you like about the team. You can say what you like about the state we're in, about the owner and whatever, but that's down to the manager. That's down to the manager 100%. He should have recognised, I mean, even with Duncan Watmore, I think he brought him off at like 65 minutes, 70 minutes. He was knackered by that point. Watmore arguably shouldn't have even started the second half. But he did, fair enough. That sort of decision-making, he doesn't seem to understand the timing of it. When the rest of us look at the team and go, his legs are gone, uh, we're being attacked down this flank, you know, we, we're not defending very well, we need more strength at the back. He doesn't seem to see that. He's just maintaining, I don't know what his game plan is. I mean, it would be pure speculation for me to say anything. But that's what really concerns me about him. I think that's so crucial in a manager. That's why you get given substitutions. It's such an important part of the game. You need to be able to utilise those substitutions properly. And uh, that's something that he doesn't seem to be able to do. Something that really concerns me. You know, when it comes to when it comes to Grayson, I just I, I, I don't think the bloke. For me, I know what you mean about bringing on defensive like uh, minded players to protect the lead and stuff like that. But I just like you talk about like half times, and I think I, well, I knew that he would be like just sit back, sit back. Like he, he just doesn't instill confidence. Like and even if he like for me. I want a manager that's going to say, right, bugger this. Let's go and get the fourth. Let's finish it. Your three went up. Probably don't deserve to be, nonetheless. You know, let's go and get the fourth. Let's finish this game. Get the monkey off our back. And then we can go into next week and, and try and win the game. But do you know when he speaks in even his press conferences, he just doesn't fill me with confidence. I don't know if it's like his lack of lips. 
or it's just the fact that I just have absolutely zero confidence in what he says because he just talks utter shit. Like, he just talks utter crap. He's like Martin Bain's mouthpiece, isn't he? Just like, oh, the club's got a good foundation, all the good people, uh, working class. And it's just like, it's the same shit every week. Like, I want to see someone like beat their chest. Like, I'm talking to Kevin Ball last week before the QBR game it was, and he was on about like the the, the derby game. We got chatting about that, and he says, you know, when you when you go and when you play for Sunderland, you kind of stick your chest out and say, you know, we're Sunderland. Do you get that from Simon Grayson? Because I get the kind of feeling that he's like he's more like we're fucked as opposed to we're Sunderland. I just uh-huh. don't get any confidence from him. So how how can you expect him? to have a, a positive halftime team talk. I just think it'll be like, all right, uh, oh, lad, sit back, try not to concede early. Like, like I can do that. I, I'll take your wages. I can do that. It's easy. Like, yeah. and you, you cannot like polish a turd and he's trying to do it. Like, came out and said, oh, we played some good football at times. We didn't, not really. And then he said, oh, you know, we're, we're disappointed, but you know, you would have took a point before the game. No, no, I wouldn't have. Like, it's Brentford. Yeah. Like, all due respect, it's Brentford. Like, I wouldn't take a point before the game because we're second bottom in a shit league and we need to start winning games. So, no bollocks I wouldn't take a point yeah yeah you, you make some good points there the, the one about Grace and the way the way that he approaches his his talk after the game and the, the way that he seems to see what's going on is the most troubling thing about him from my perspective because I, I don't know what he says behind closed doors but I don't think he believes the stuff that leaves his mouth sometimes and I, I don't like the pan Grace and I know it's, it sounds daft and people listening to this probably think we do that we're, we're lining up waiting for this guy to get sacked it's not it's not that. I do want to see him do well. I wrote about this on the site last week. I would love nothing more than us to win at the weekend, just gone, and then, you know, build from there with this man because I do think he's a nice enough man, a nice bloke. I do think he's trying his best, but it's just not good enough, clearly. Mm. And, you know, I've seen a lot of chatter on social media about, okay, let's replace Grayson. So who with? I kind of, I hate that question really because, one, I'm not the person in charge of recruitment for the club. And if I was, I think what I would do is I'd go out and I'd find out about managers from other countries who might not be names, but do have the capabilities to come in with a group like this, play a better brand of football, then that might eventually go on to achieve results, you know, and it's been shown in the last couple of years, clubs like Hull brought in Marco Silva, nobody had heard of him. If someone had told you a year ago or whatever, you know, or Sunderland, uh, we're going to replace uh, David Moyes with this guy, Marco Silva, who managed like a, a mid-table Portuguese team, you'd be thinking there, who? But the fact of the matter was, it was actually pretty well thought out. The guy's a good coach. Hull were very unlucky not to stay up. And you're, you're seeing what he's doing at Watford, okay, they got beat at the weekend, but there's a manager who came out of nowhere who's actually very skilled and good at his job. This is what I think is that I don't think those making those decisions want a manager like that. They don't want to be yeah. ambitious. They don't want to take risks. They want a safe option. Grayson is a safe option. I think Derek McInnes was a safe option because they obviously wanted him on the back of recommendation from Walter Smith, who knew him very well. It's like you look at the scope and the the, the way they're looking at these managers, or certainly since Bain's been around, they know exactly what they're getting when they get these managers through the door. Grayson, when you think about the way he talks and the way that he clearly feels in his role, you look at just the mistakes they made with Moyes, they're kind of being careful not to repeat those with him and it, it, he's very much happy to be here. That's the problem. He's, he's, he's going out there every week talking to the media about positives that aren't there, really. I mean, we're going to see... We're going to see this week, more than likely, talking about how we scored goals, how we're three unbeaten, how we got a point, how he how he's returning striker got two goals, which yeah, great, but you can't hide from the fact that we're, we're second bottom of the division. We haven't won a game in ages, and it's time for some real talk. Really, I'm not talking about the the sort of stuff that David Moyes came out with, where he was talking about 
being in a relegation battle. By no means, I don't want to be hearing that. I'm not telling them to lie to us, but what I'm saying is be a little bit more realistic. Stop telling us that everything's fine because we know it isn't. We know that it isn't. Mm-hmm. You just, you've just you got to be more honest with yourself. You've got to sit back and you've got to talk about what you're going to do to put this right, not the fact that it, it's it's platitudes really say, oh, we're, what, we're, work, we're going to work hard and train and hope to put the result right. Well, yeah, of course you are, but be a little bit more honest about what's going on. Because once you're a little bit more honest, the, the, the brutal nature of what your words are saying, it's going to bring it down to earth. The players need to be brought back down to earth. Yeah, there's players here who don't want to be here, but at the minute, they've got to be here. They've got to fight for every you know every minute that they're on the pitch for Sunderland, and we're not seeing it. That's the issue. Defensively, very poor. And I'm, I'm just worried that this defensive coach isn't able to get a clean sheet out of these players who, when you look across the board, you want to Brian Oviedo, who I think is a really good player at this level, playing left back. A bunch of centre halves there. Most of them have played at the you know the top level of English football. You know, Shea, Wilson, um, Coney, all right, hasn't been very good for a while. But I mean, was it being touted for over twenty million not that long ago? And you just we're not getting enough out of them. Is the problem? So as a, to to round off, Grayson either has to step up, start showing that he really does mean that he like wants to be here, or by the Bolton game he couldn't have a job and. I'm just surprised that so many people are still behind him because it's it's becoming more and more difficult with every result just to see where he's going with this. Well, I mean, I, I completely agree with you there. One of the, the things that bothers me, one of the things that bothers me is um, we get our Roger report, we say we have a lot of things like this, a lot of opinion comes out. Obviously, it's all entirely dependent on the individual who writes it. There is no uh, overall Roger report agenda. But a lot of it, obviously, being since we all sort of, we have a general consensus, a lot of it is, oh, well, Grayson's not the man for the job anymore. The response we get from some people is, um, what would you do? Do you know what I mean? And that, that question really bothers me. That question really bugs the hell out of me because we as fans, we lack the burden of duty that comes with being a football club owner. And that isn't our responsibility, isn't our job. We didn't have the gall or the money to turn around and say, I can lead this football team forward, you know? So that's something that annoys me because we, we would never be in that position. If we were in that position, yeah, different story maybe. If I was in that position, I'd, I'd have a, a group of trusted people next to me that weren't spin doctors and liars that could assist me. Do you know what I mean? I'd ask football people. That's what you do, isn't it? You go into a scenario where, let's just imagine theoretically for a moment that you are a billionaire and you do now buy Sunderland. Not that you need to be a billionaire, by the way, but let's imagine for a second that you do. You don't know much about football. What do you do? Do you hire accountants and lawyers, solicitors, things like that to help you? No, you don't. Do you? you hire football people, footballing men and women, people who understand the game in and out. And that's something that bothers me about being asked what I would do, is if that's some sort of pertinent rebuttal to the argument that Grayson shouldn't be here. Oh, what would you do then? Well, no, it's, it's not a pertinent question, is it? But when it comes down to it, Let's, if you really want that question answered, the nitty gritty of it is, I mean, Gav's saying there, like, we could go out and scour the world for a quality manager. You could do that. Yeah, you could do. And that would be perfectly legitimate. I mean, that would be a, a great alternative to what's happening right now, certainly for all of us. But realistically, a club the size of Sunderland, when you want a, a role filled, you just put out the word, don't you? You just put out a job advertisement, essentially. Not quite in the Friday ads or anything like that, looking for a manager, but that's what happens. And so you get hundreds of applicants. And there's no doubt in my mind that Sunderland have a lot of applicants when they put out the role for the manager's job. That doesn't surprise me. It's not like, I mean, Richard Branson doesn't scour the world looking for air stewards. Do you know what I mean? They all apply in droves and they get picked by someone that he trusts. Now, this is a very simple and effective corporate strategy. So for as long as Sunderland want to act like a corporation, instead of a family football club, which isn't what we want, but it's what they've been maintaining and where they're going with it. So long as they want to act like that, they should act like it. As in, there should be a clear corporate structure. There should be a clear recruitment process. 
there should be everything put in place for what that manager needs to succeed to do that role. And that's something that really annoys me about Sunderland. I mean, talking about Grayson in general, though, with regards to whether or not he should stay or go, the thing is, we don't even know why Grayson was hired, you know? Was he hired because he has experience building squads on a shoestring? Was he hired because he's desperate for the chance? Or was he hired because he's he's a scapegoat, because he's a yes man? That's something that concerns me. Because it seems to me, the better the manager the less shit they take. So when I see someone like Simon Grayson, who seems to take all of the shit, that concerns me. I mean, something Graham said earlier about not having a spine. I mean, I wouldn't, I couldn't really attack him personally like that, Grayson. But certainly as an employee, as an employee of Sunderland Football Club, he just gets bent over a barrel, you know? He, he claimed we'd have a mid-level championship budget, and I'm sorry to keep going on about this, but it drives me mad. Mid-level championship budget spends two million. What's happening there? Something's that there's a big question mark over that whole window, that whole period where Grayson was maintaining that he was going to be given the support he needed, where we were being told that Ellis Short was going to financially and personally support the club, and neither of those things have come to pass. That's something that the media, the local media in particular, conveniently ignores when they're reporting on Sunderland. So they, report, they ignore a lot of things when they're reporting on Sunderland, but that's one of them that really bothers me, because the fact is Grayson wasn't necessarily hired because he's the best man for the job, and that's my overall point here. He was hired because, I don't know, he suited whatever agenda they had at the time. You know, whether it was someone who would take two million and pretend that he'd been given 20, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, Grayson wasn't given the job because it would take Sunderland up. He wasn't given the job because it would take Sunderland forward. He was given the job because perhaps managers like Derek McInnes, they wouldn't take that. You know what I mean? They wouldn't accept that bad hand. They would say, no, thank you. I know a good thing when I see it. I know a bad thing when I see it. And Sunderland right now are a bad thing. So yeah, for me, that's there's a couple of things I covered there, I suppose. I don't really want to rant too much about it. It just really annoys me, the state we're in right now. Um, moving on, though, we do have some some questions, as per usual. Got some questions from you guys on Twitter. Um, here's one. Here's a good one. Ken Chappell. Oh, Ken Chappell. Sorry, this is actually going on the Chappell. This is going on what I was saying earlier. This is about who could take over. So let's speak realistically for a moment. Who could we get in? We can't speak about any managers specifically, because as I say, we'd need to go out and scour the country for them, scour the world for them. But it's clear that we need someone with backbone. It's clear that we need someone who won't tolerate anything less than absolute commitment from his players. You know, that's something that needs to happen. You can't just have players turning up every day and paying them and assuming that that's their job done because it isn't. I was I was talking about this yesterday with some friends and I was, I was trying to work out what it is I would look for in a manager, um, particularly as obviously you went at a short go nowhere anytime soon. Um, and you've got to consider the limitations that pretty much every manager in the last three or four years I've placed on them. Um, nothing's going to change in that respect. So even if we replace Grayson, we could be we could be sat talking about the same problems essentially that the players aren't committed enough, that you know we're not spending enough money in the transfer window, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think the, the bare minimum that I would expect of any manager is that they're able to get these players to play in a fashion which one suits them, which two sets us up in a more positive manner because for a long time now we've played a lot of very dull football, and I do think that when you look at the quality of our attacking players, certainly we, we should be playing better stuff than just kick and rush uh, back to front football, which is what we play under Grayson. You know, thirdly, I think that um, whoever replaces Simon Grayson should he go, which to be honest, I do think is around the corner, provided we you know, don't get a couple of decent results coming up. Um, I think whoever replaces mm. him has to understand that 
we need more than just words. He came in and he told us that this is a passionate area of the North East and we all bought into it. I was like, oh, it sounds excellent, this. But it, I mean, that, that wears thin when you're losing games. Somebody who truly understands what it is like to be involved at this club is preferable, which is why so many people, if it happens, will will point to the likes of Kevin Phillips, someone who was <clears throat> linked with the role before Grayson got it. People will, you know, the usual stuff, oh, bring Borley back, bring Reedy back. But to be honest, somebody like that involved back in the club is what we need. I'm not talking about giving Kevin Ball the manager's job or giving Peter Reid the manager's job, but having them around the place, somebody who knows what it's like to be a success at this level in the championship, conveying that message constantly is is important, not just for the players and, and for the rest of the club, but for the fans, because since Aldice left, it, it feels that there's nobody within the structure of the club that we can look up to. Essentially, we haven't got anybody there who we believe in. Like, I believe in Kevin Ball. I believe that he loves Sunderland. So if he was involved and we were seeing poor attitudes on the pitch, I would like to think that behind the scenes he was kicking their horses, which I think is what's missing at the minute. All right, we've got Robbie Stockdale there. He's been around been around a few managers now and if that's kind of the problem there's no real change behind the scenes every time we're replacing these managers it's like a new face but with the same coaching staff behind them um and yeah if Grayson goes I think it's got to be somebody who not only sure knows what they're doing I just think they've got to know what this club's about it's more than just saying that you know what this club's about we know that the people out there without jobs or there's even people like Ken Ball at the club who behind the scenes would could be used a lot better than they are currently so that's my two pence on it anyways. I just think it's, it would have to be a very measured replacement. And as long as Alice Shorty, we're not going to be spending big bucks on good managers. So it would maybe have to be something a little more well thought out. I just fear that the reason Kevin mm. Ball's know any other coaching side of things anymore is because he knows exactly what's going on and he knows exactly what what would put it right, essentially. And they don't want somebody like that rocking the boat. They want a yes man. And that's that's the issue, really. We're, mm. we're, stuck, we're stuck in this rut until short leaves. So it would have to be, would be wishful thinking, really, somebody like coming back. I completely agree with you. And that's the problem, isn't it? We are stuck in limbo. There's no way forward. There's no path for us because we've still got the same owner. We've still got the same CEO and they've still got the same agenda, whatever that is. And that's something that they keep to themselves. Because I'll tell you what, I'll tell you right now, it's not promotion. <laughs> that's not on the menu. That's not happening. And just in case you were thinking it was, it's not. I don't know what happened. I don't know. We speculated a lot before this all began. We speculated a lot at the start of the season, the end of last season, whether this was going to be the sort of season where we uh, consolidate whatever we have, consolidate our position in the championship, try and push up. Nah, just awful. As it is now, we're in free fall. And small things like not being able to hold on to a 3-1 lead uh, with only 45 minutes to go. What's really tragic about that, actually, just to go off topic slightly, is... In the Premier League, that's the sort of time frame that we'd have been dealing with regularly. We were dealing with regularly, do you know what I mean? Holding on, not just holding on for 45 minutes, holding on for like 70 minutes, 75 minutes, 80 minutes, getting an early goal and holding on and holding on and holding. We've seen some proper, desperate, even heroic defending at the Stadium of Light and just from players in the jersey. And you don't see that anymore. Do you know what I mean? You see desperation, don't see heroism. I don't see any grittiness or anything like that. I don't see any real fight. Like that game against Brentford, I was I was sat there watching it. I was thinking, you know what? This is actually arguably one of the best Sunderland games I've watched, certainly this season. I mean, yeah, slim pickings and all that, but there seemed to be some energy. You know, I don't know whether it was just, I mean, to be fair, there was two crap sides, you know what I mean, picking away at each other, but there was still a lot there to be positive about. And there is, we can t- even though we we lost those two points, 
there are still some positives to take. As we've mentioned before, Duncan Watmore is a fantastic little player. He's going to, he's so crucial to us right now. Graben is arguably the most worthwhile of the transfers that we brought in because even though McGeady's obviously a talent, Graben's still got a couple of years on him and he's looking like he could become quite prolific if he can stay fit. He's certainly no Jermaine Defoe, but he is predatory and that's something that we, we really needed to replace in Jermaine Defoe. That's something that we were certainly missing. Yes, we need more than that. We need some actual target men. We need some actual proper strikers. But in lieu of those, Graben, I think, does well. Yeah, positives from that. As I say, there are there are quite a few. The negatives outweigh them, I would say, when you're looking at things like um, Lee Catamol's performance and things like that. But when you turn to the performance of the front three in general, or I say front three, just the, the attacking forwards, everyone up front is looking really impressive to me. When I'm, when I'm watching Sonnen's attack, uh, I, I see a, a lot of promise there and the, the problem that I have with the team generally is just the defensive side of things I have absolutely no issues with our attack uh, obviously James Vaughan aside I think Vaughan's a poor player but provided you keep grabbing fit you, you get McGeady and you get what more around him and then you know Williams could be a big player provided he stays fit although we've seen so far why he's been here why he struggled at Palace so much to stay in the team was because of injury issues we're saying that now really he's nowhere near the team again this weekend just gone but if you can if you can get players like that fit that's that's and I said it when we brought them in. That's a top championship attack line. Like Matt Manaman's mm. not getting in the team at the minute, and I think he's a good player. We've we've got good players in those areas, but behind them is a very poor shaky defence. So I've I said this weeks and weeks ago because it's been so long since we last won a game. I said we've got to we've we've got to learn to start again from from the back and and, and just that point Sam Allardyce used to make about keeping a clean sheet, keeping that first clean sheet. That we need to do that. We need we need to just. Tell the defenders, look, you fight for your lives on the pitch. Make sure we keep that clean sheet this week. And I'm, I've no doubt they're talking about it, and I've no doubt that they're riddled with self-doubt. But once that first clean sheet's kept and the confidence begins to restore, you're going to see a lot better Sunderland because the attack's so good. If the defence behind them could play a bit, keep those clean sheets, I've got no doubt that we would score goals because we have goal scorers all, all across that front four. It's just a case of how do we solve the big glaring issue, which is the defence. I mean... With players out injured like Wilson, it's hard to really make changes. I think we was pretty much forced to bring Coney in unless he gave a kid a chance. But as we've learned, that's just not going to happen. This next game against Bristol City, they're a good team. They're a very good side. They're not. They're not. You know, near the top of the division without reason. But we've, what we've got to do is, is we've got to let them come in. We don't let them play through us. We throw our bodies on the line. We we'll see. We we'll see some, like you say, heroic defending, and then get that first clean sheet out of the way. Even if it's a nil-nil draw, I couldn't care less. That clean sheet's going to be huge because it sets them up to, to improve from there. We've already seen that the attack's good enough, but it's about time some of these players you know, stood up to be counted because the majority of them have played Premier League football throughout their careers for a reason, standard Premier League defenders. But when you're dropping the championship, you're, you should be expecting better than this. And I guess this weekend, if it is a nil-nil draw, we've got to be happy with it. This, this game coming up, and we might get on to it later, but we've got to be happy that the team has managed to keep a clean sheet finally because... It's just been so long. It's been so long. And it would just be nice to come away and say, you know what? We defended really well today. But the keeper was reliable. The centre-halves didn't put a foot wrong. But the only time I've been able to say that recently is when we've actually conceded goals. Like Preston, oh, she played really well. Well, we conceded two goals, which is oh. the big problem at the minute. So yeah, it's got to be. there's got to be a bigger focus placed on the defensive side of things because I have no doubt that with players like McGeady on the pitch, we're capable up the top end. How do you motivate those defenders though? Like... Coney doesn't want to be here. How do you really realistically motivate O'Shea? Browning, he's going to make mistakes, but you can see that when he plays, he, he does try. I, I honestly don't think 
Grayson can do that. I think, you know, we'll revert back to what you said earlier about having someone in the club and we talked about Kevin Ball, Kevin Phillips and stuff like that. And I, I don't think, and there'll be a lot of people listening and they'll say, you know, if you bring in someone like that, it doesn't magically fix. And I know I, I don't think that, but I think what I want to kind of want to go back to, if you remember the time when we got relegated with 15 points, and I think, you know, that season probably would have followed on the same way as this one has if mm. things hadn't changed so early on. And I think it wasn't so much... I mean, we remember what having Niall Quinn as manager was like. He was awful, absolutely rotten. But he understood what he had to bring in, what kind of mentality he had to bring in because he knew the club and he knew somebody of the ilk of Roy Keane could basically get players standing up an extra inch. And I think... Having someone more involved like Kevin Ball, Kevin Phillips, or, or even Stefan uh, Stephen Schwartz, who we were talking about before, somebody who could bring in you know, an understanding of the football club, an understanding of what makes it tick, would get the right appointment. And I think you need to have an appointment of someone that makes people like Lamine Coney and John O'Shea go, actually want to play for this guy. I mean, I remember watching absolute losers play for us like before Roy Keane came in and then we played that West Brom game and he's seen players who were obviously not of the right ability, but they wanted to play for Roy Keane because he was Roy Keane. And I'm not saying we can go and get a Roy Keane now. No one off the top of my head I can think of, but you know, thankfully that's not my job. Um, But if you had someone like Kevin Ball, Kevin Phillips, Stefan Schwartz, someone who could come into the club, have an understanding of what the manager requires to get players that are underperforming stand up an extra inch and understand what this football club means I think that's what we need at the moment we've got people like Martin Bain telling us that he understands the area bollocks he doesn't he doesn't get it at all it's you know I think it was Craig who wrote an article about it's not just about us being a hard working area it's about honesty as well like a lot of the area and the football club and everything about Sunderland is honesty and not mincing your words and he does like Martin Bain, Simon Grayson, they all talk, they all say the right things, but it's not always what you say, it's how you say it. And we need somebody to come into the club and say, you know what, we need an appointment like XYZ, the way Niall Quinn did, to have a real understanding of that club to get everyone, you know, push their chest out a little bit and remember who we actually are. And I don't think Grayson's got that. And I don't think that's always necessarily his fault. But the people in the club at the moment who would choose the next manager, the reason I wouldn't sack Grayson at the moment, and you can hear in my voice, I don't think he's the right man. But the reason I wouldn't sack him is to because the man that would appoint the next person would get another Simon Grayson. And that's not what we need. We need somebody in the club who's got an understanding yeah. of the values, the meaning and what we need to appoint someone who can change the mentality of that losing football club and weak mentality we have at the minute. And it's as simple as that. But that's the trouble, isn't it? As we discussed earlier, we're in that limbo and that's not going to happen, is it? That's the biggest issue here. I completely agree with you. You're absolutely right. But it isn't going to happen. For as long as Ellis Shaw is there, we're going to remain in this rut. When people turn around and say it isn't Ellis Short's fault, it might not be Ellis Short's fault. Think what you want on that. But the fact is, Ellis Short hired Martin Bain and Martin Bain has a job to do. He's doing it very well. But that job does not involve any progression for Sunderland Football Club as a football club. You know, it, it's and it's clear, it's clear to all of us, unless, you, unless you're talking about, oh, it's a five-year plan. How can it be if Ellis Short's put the club up for sale? This is what bothers me. On the one hand, commitment from Ellis Short. We've got a plan in place. On the other hand, club's for sale. Can't afford it. <laughs> what is going on? Are we literally, people are supposed to sit there, pay for their season tickets, you know, on on the grounds that they're being told by the CEO that the owner is going to commit to this club and that he isn't. 
Then he tur- it turns around and it's up for sale for nothing. This is after he's turned down, supposedly, two investors at a time when he could have changed something for the football club. That's the thing that really bothers me about this. But it does anyway. It does, doesn't it? So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here keep going on about Ellis Short because it'll end up like some catcher in the rye thing and I'll end up trying to assassinate him. He's <laughs> driving me mad. I just feel like, I think you've got a real good point about the limbo thing and I don't want to touch on it too much and bang on about them again because we all well pissed off at him, aren't we, pretty much? But like when it comes to, you know, his plan that he has, one plan that I do trust that he has is that he wants to sell this like shitstorm that he's got at the minute. And I think yeah. when it comes to, to selling it, surely he wants to sell, he wants us to be in a relatively healthy position, at least mid-table uh, championship, so he can showcase this to potential buyers and say, look at the size of this club. Get a couple of get the appointment right. Get a couple of good players in, and you'll get these back in the Premiership. And the, the potential is huge. I cannot understand why he just kind of like just let Martin Bain set fire to the house and burn it all down just so he can sell it. Like if he wanted, like what was it, ninety million? I, I've got to be honest. I, I love Sunderland, and I wouldn't. If I was a millionaire, I wouldn't invest at the minute. You would think that he would want a stable asset to sell. But in fact, in, in truth, I mean, again, speculation, looking back at what he does, he sells distressed assets. That's how he made most of his money. The truth is that all of this cost cutting and things like that, that is part of making the club sellable. Clearly, that, that, that's part of, yeah. of advertising the club, even if it is selling Jordan Pickford, who, by the way, looks like he'll be joining us in the championship at this rate. Oh, where I say join us in the championship, we'll be in League One, but regardless, selling Jordan Pickford, selling all those players, spending no money, clearing debt, clearing debt, and then selling the club cheap as, that's his his version of advertising the club. You know, I, I imagine that if he wanted to, well, say so if he wanted to, I'm sure he wanted to have us at the top of the Premier League and sell us for big money then. But I think he realised a long time ago that he was going to have to cut his losses with Sunderland, and that's what he's done. And that's what really concerns me. That goes back to what I just said. He clearly gave up his commitment to the club a long time ago. And we've been told, because the facts are there, they're in front of you, on in black and white, on paper, you've been told by the CEO of Sunderland Football Club that the owner was committed financially and personally. You've been told that, but then he didn't commit financially or personally. He hasn't committed to the club financially or personally. So that was a lie. That was a lie. And there's nothing rebellious about me saying that. It was a lie. It's a lie to thousands of people who pay for their season tickets. That's what it is. It was a bloody lie then. It's a lie now. And I don't know why people are treading on eggshells around the guy. I don't know why people are bending over backwards to avoid confrontation with Sunderland Football Club. Do you know what I mean? Ellis Short is a nobody. Martin Bain is a nobody. They're a pathetic bunch of amateurs who have ruined a family football club. They've butchered it. We've got another question right on Twitter saying, where do you think you'll end up at the end of the season? I know where we'll end up. We'll end up in League One. Of course we will. And it's obvious. And that was telegraphed two years ago. Simple as. It was always going to end up like this. It was always going to go this bad. It was always going to be this bad because the owner and the CEO don't give a fuck about the club. They don't care about you and me. They don't care about the fan enjoyment. They don't care about fan engagement. Any engagement they do make is just so that they can say they did it. Do you know what I mean? If it wasn't for the fact that this, um, these EFL rulings state that the club has to, or any football club in the league has to meet with fans, uh, I think it's up to four times a year now. If it wasn't for that ruling, does anyone think this red and white army thing would be going? Because it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Bain would laugh at it. He'd laugh at it. Just like he laughs at every effort that the fans would make to engage or have the gall to change anything about the club. The whole thing's corrupt, mate. These people are fucking arseholes. They've been arseholes for a long time. And they're going to be, they're going to continue to be arseholes till long after they're gone. Do you know what I mean? But when that'll be, as to when they'll actually be gone, could be two years, could be ten. You know what I mean? Could be two days. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Ellis Short and Martin Bain have said to you. It doesn't matter if they said they're going to do this, this and this, because they aren't. They're going to do what Ellis Short and Martin Bain want to do. 
and everything else. Just so much lip service, man. I'm, I'm just sick of hearing it. But anyway, moving on to more positive things. We've got Bristol City coming up next. I mean, Bristol City are an interesting one. All rants over now. Bristol City are an interesting one. They had a fantastic run of form up until they were smashed 3-0 against Leeds recently. I don't know if you can take that as any kind of, I don't know, any kind of positive or anything like that. I mean, it's a bit of a, for me, it concerns me that a team that were doing incredibly well and have a lot of firepower have a really good organisation and a good manager. Concerns me that they're doing really well until they came up against Leeds. Leeds, a team who are also in some sort of weird rebuild and have been, they've been going on like this for the last couple of years, but they're, they're looking very positive. And obviously I was there when we got thrashed by Leeds at Stadium of Light recently. Um, I was expecting more from that because I thought that the team were, as I say, in transition. And I thought we could pick up some points off them, but no, apparently not. Again, yeah, Bristol City are an interesting one. As Gav says, uh, Simon Grayson doesn't have long at all doesn't have very long at all to to turn this around i think bristol city is going to be a fine example of that if we go there and we can't even get a point well that's going to look really bad for him what do you guys make of it gav about you bristol yeah they're a good side um they'd only lost one game up until this past weekend and what they've got what we don't is that that strength within to just draw games out um so they've, they've actually they've drawn six of the 12 of the 13 games which just shows you know they're pretty solid which it worries us slightly but again when I'm talking about nil-nil draws and stuff like that it's probably more likely to come this weekend than it is against Bolton but yeah Bristol decent team they've got a good young manager who's got a lot of ambition they'll, they'll be keen to put that result at the weekend behind them because as we saw like you mentioned Leeds are I would say probably the best team we face this season I know uh, when you look at the top Cardiff are in second Sheffield United are third two teams we've lost to at home this season as well um, but when it comes to who was the best football inside we face Leeds were definitely that team so, you know, it's hard to bear, but they've just got to put that behind them. They've got to be off a good side. And coming to the stadium, I like them, you know, if they, if they need it to be refocused, then this game will certainly refocus them because they're facing a side who struggle at home, for one. They're facing a side who can't stop leaking goals. And they're facing a team who they know if, if, if they're very patient in early doors, pick their moments that the atmosphere around the place will do the work for them. But... I am still pretty confident that we might get something. I would be happy with a nil-nil draw, like I said before. Not be, you know, I'm desperate for that next win. Of course, I am. But I just think that we need to make some steady progress somewhere. And starting with a draw would be nice, or a nil-nil draw. If it was a one-nil win, that would be infinitely better. But what I'm saying is, if if we come away and we've we've only managed a, a goalless draw, then I won't be too disheartened by it. They did have a player sent off at the weekend. The centre forward got sent off. He got straight red, which means obviously they've got to shake it up a little bit. Um, I know he's not, it's, uh, the guy's called Matt, Matty Taylor, I think they got him from the from the uh, conference. Not a particularly prolific player, but you know, you, it's not great news when your striker gets sent off. Uh, but we, we've just got to be, we've got to go into this game, backs to the wall, knowing that a win is essential, knowing that as difficult as this stadium light is apparently to play at the minute, that it can be just as easy to play there, provided they go out and they get an early goal. We go out and get an early goal, and we don't sit back. We actually put our foot on the ball, utilise the players we've got. We've got some good footballers up there that we can pick a team off, but we've got to start putting results behind us. We can't... I mean, we've we've sat and talked about the Brentford game at length today, but I mean, dwelling on the nature of that performance is going to do none of us any good. I'm really... I'm pretty tired of just being negative and sick of everything. I'm, I'm, I'm dying for this team to get a win. I'm dying to have something good to talk about. Like, we come on the mm. show every week, and we're talking about how bad we are, and we don't want to be talking about how bad we are, but there's nothing good to talk about. It would be great if we sat here this time next week talking about how we've just beat a good side in Bristol City. So let's just see what happens. I think I think Grayson's on borrowed time, but I, I mean, I don't want to focus too much on that. I just want to focus on the fact that this side really needs a win. 
if we carry that at the weekend, I mean, what better way to carry on that form than against a team below you in the league against Bolton on the Tuesday night? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not big at all. Let's keep the faith stuff in that. But at the minute, that's all we've got, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the truth of it. See, that is that is the the ultimate crux of it all. Is that regardless of how angry we are or how shit results are and things like that, we're still we do keep the faith. I think that's half of the insult of being told to keep the faith is that we already have it, you know, and you're being told to keep it by people who don't understand what it is. So that, that, that's something that's always bothered us about. But yeah, Gab's absolutely right there. What he says, it's it's not easy being a Sunderland fan, is it? And it's not easy talking about it every week. No optimism, nothing but negativity. But that's just the way things are. Graham, do you have anything left to say on the matter, buddy? Uh, the Bristol City game. I mean, to quote yeah, uh, yeah. the great Darren Gibson, we're shit and I don't want to be shit. Um, and and sure. that, that keeps me kind of going. I think, uh, touching on what Gav said, I think, you know, if Grayson's got anything about him, we've got to hope he has. And I, I do want to see him do well. Of course I do. Because um, it means we're doing well. But I think he's got to look at this game against Bristol City and, you know, forget the fact that they're a decent side. It's Bristol City. Like, respectfully, like, we should be looking to win a game against Bristol City at home, no matter whose form is where. And the brilliant and beautiful thing about this division is anybody can twat anybody else, like, by four or five goals in not surprising either way and I think he's got to look at it and he's got to say you know Bristol City there's a chance to get the monkey off the back get that win and then all of a sudden all this negativity that's around the club turns into a positive and we've got Bolton at home on a Tuesday night at Halloween let's go bash them as well and then you've got six points and then we're probably looking upwards as opposed to downwards we're not in the bottom three if he just has a little bit of bollocks about himself and just maybe plays McManaman he plays and and I know we're talking about the clean sheet and stuff like that like at this point, I'm not bothered if we, if we get a clean sheet. I'd like to win 2-0, I, I would, but I just want to win. And if it's 5-4, if it's 7-6, I'm not bothered. Let's just go for it. Let's play on the front foot. Let's play McManaman, <laughs> Williams if he's fit, McGeady. Let's just go for it. Get this win. Get it out the way. Get that monkey off our back. Go into the Bolton game. Smash them as well. And just go on and win the league. You know, that's what I think we should do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it's five, four, seven, six, nine, eight. It doesn't matter, mate. We'll just bag him in. Christ yeah. almighty. I love I love this kid's optimism though. Can you can you imagine if the dressing room had the same amount of optimism as Graham has right now? We'd be uh, fine. Just... All right, well that's all we've got time for though, guys. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you to the audience for listening to us. As ever, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Acast, YouTube. Uh don't forget to check out ww.rokereport.com. And that's all from us for this week. Hopefully we'll be joining you next week with some positive news. I know we say that every week, but there's no harm in trying, is there? So, yeah, for now, that's the Roker Report signing off. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 